the Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. U.S. Supreme Court threw the questions about reproductive choice into serious flux this spring when it overturned Roe v. Wade, and now it's up to individual states, at least for now, to decide what reproductive freedom is going to look like. Today, we're going to talk about the profound tensions and differences among the states on this issue, and hear specifically from an anti-abortion activist about her beliefs. It's all next on Detroit Today, but first the news from NPR. Detroit Today is supported by Michigan School of Psychology in Farmington Hills, educating psychologists today who will transform our world tomorrow. Learn more at msp.edu. And welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Abortion. Just that word evokes so many different emotions and thoughts in Americans. And for nearly 50 years, we have had a blazing cultural war, really, over the idea of when, how, and who gets to decide whether a woman has to carry a pregnancy to term. The U.S. Supreme Court seemed to pour gasoline on that war this spring when it issued its opinion in the Dobbs case. The court decided that the law of the land since 1973 was wrong, and that states should be able to decide on their own whether a woman has to carry a pregnancy to term. That has set up an incredible number of showdowns this fall, first of all, as we head back to the ballot box for midterm elections. Lots of states have questions about how far to go. Should abortion be legal? Should it be illegal? And where on the broad spectrum between those two poles should the law be? Every day right now, I think people are thinking about and hearing about abortion, talking about it in very heated ways, much more heated than they were just six or eight months ago. And on this program, because of the outlook we have here because of the kinds of things we talk about and value, we tend to hear mostly from pro-choice individuals, people who believe that this is a matter for women to decide on their own in a medical sense with their doctors and in a private sense with their families. That's also reflective of the majority opinions, at least if you begin to believe the polls. Most people believe that a woman should have a right to decide when and whether to have a child. 
But of course, that's not everybody. There's a significant minority of people who believe that abortion is an unjust decision, both for the mother and the fetus. There are people who believe it's murder to end a pregnancy. And in order to have this conversation, in order to frame it and be able to take account of both sides, we need to better understand that other position. And we need to understand that it's a position that now rules over millions of Americans and has a majority among the members of the U.S. Supreme Court. Detroit Today producer Sam Corey recently sat down with pro-life activist Monica Miller, who teaches at Sacred Heart Major Seminary here in Detroit and is the author of Abandoned, the untold story of the abortion wars. In their conversation, Sam tries to more clearly understand how Dr. Miller became part of the pro-life movement and why she has continued to fight in its favor for so many decades. Just to start here, how did your pro-life beliefs form? Where, where did they exactly originate from? Well, I, uh, I guess I could, I can say that when all is said and done, I, I've never, I've never been in favor of of abortion, um, and I think probably I could attribute that to my upbringing. I was raised uh, Roman Catholic. And I just had a, I just innately believed that um, there has to be something wrong with killing an unborn child. <laughs> um, so I don't have a dramatic conversion story, uh, you know, when it comes to my my views on on the subject. Um, however, my awareness of the injustice of abortion certainly grew, evolved, and and developed, um, and. When I was 21 years old, I was a college student at Southern Illinois University in Carbondale, Illinois. I was getting a degree in theater, and I went on a retreat at the Newman Center. I met a woman on this retreat. Her name was Shirley Parks, and she was involved in something called the pro-life movement, and that was... I mean, this is three years after Roe versus Wade was already uh, decided. Um, but I became friends with Shirley Parks, and she really introduced me to uh, to involvement in the movement. I piled around with her. She took me to meetings. She took me to debate. And she gave me some very good books to read. And one of them was published before Roe versus Wade, and that was a book called Abortion and Social Justice. And it's an anthology, and one of the chapters in that book was written by a physician named Bart Heffernan, and the name of that chapter was The Early Biography of Every Man. So it was a very close examination of uh, fetal development, and this just totally blew me away. I, I had no idea, and maybe most people still don't. Uh, sad to say, but no idea of the complexity, the dynamics of the development of an unborn child. I came away from reading that chapter with a very deep interior awareness that when we're dealing with an unborn 
child, we're dealing with a personal someone, an other in relationship to me and to the rest of humanity. Um, these are not uh, aliens. These are not things. The unborn child is not an intruder, not an invader uh, into our space, but a, but, a, but a true someone in relationship to me and the rest of the human race. And this just solidified my opposition to abortion and also motivated me to become more involved in the in the pro-life movement. Dr. Miller, yeah, I mean, you've been in the in the pro-life movement for a very long time now. Um, one of the things that I, I'm curious about, you, you had an interesting change or switch over. You're part of theater uh, and studied theater in undergrad. And, you know, the theater groups, and I think at least the way you described it, was very different than, um, you know, the, the pro-life movement and, and those oh, groups very. that you associated with. Yeah. What, what were you taken by in the pro-life movement? I'm curious what those groups seemed to offer you or, or what kind of richness or depth um, did you get into with them? I uh, had rediscovered my, my Catholic faith um, when I was 21 years old. And that made a big difference in terms of my outlook on what was really important. And, and um, I, I, you know, I, I had a dramatic shift. I have no question about that. I, from theater to theology, <laughs> and, you know, so going through the THs, okay. But I decided to drop theater. It was a very difficult time in my life trying to understand who I was, uh, what was my future, and I decided to move to Chicago, and I applied um, to Loyola University in Chicago and started to study theology there. And uh, so I had a, I had a very def- definite um, shift. If you're just listening, I'm speaking to Dr. Monica Miller. Uh, she's the director of Citizens for a Pro-Life Society. Uh, she now teaches at Sacred Heart Major Seminary in Detroit and is most recently the author of Abandon, the Untold Story of the Abortion Wars. Dr. Miller, I'm curious um, to kind of get your reaction, what it, what, what it felt like for you um, when you heard about Roe being overturned uh, in the Dobbs decision. I know this was a very polarizing decision. A lot of mm. Americans were certainly really sad and are still reeling from it. And right. and many others are happy and rejoicing. It's a bit celebratory for them. Um, I'm curious what the reaction was like for you. I'll be honest. The first reaction I had is I cried. Mm. Um, I can almost cry now, but I could I, I couldn't believe it. Uh, after almost 50 years and my involvement literally over four decades, um, that this decision um, was, was going to vanish in a sense, um, overturned, reversed. My second reaction was a sense of sorrow and, uh, frankly, a sense of mourning. Um, one of the quotations from the Alito opinion that was finding its way into just about all media uh, reports that Roe versus Wade was egregiously wrongly decided from the start. <laughs> That's practically a, a verbatim quote. Egregiously wrongly decided from the start. So that was kind of my my second um, reaction uh, to it, a, a kind of mourning. And 
for the loss of these lives and the and the the hurt uh, and the brokenness that is caused to so many so many women women that I actually talk about in my book. Um, and then I, I you know I, I wrote an article for Crisis Magazine on the rever- on the Dobbs decision and. You know, it's one thing to reverse Roe versus Wade, but my argument is that Roe versus Wade is not just a legal opinion. Roe versus Wade presents us with a kind of philosophy. Um, it presents us with a kind of ethic on the meaning of human relatedness and the this um, radical individualism, this radical autonomy. Um, the, the isolation from one human being to the other is the ethic of Roe v. Wade, and, if, and that, st- that still needs to be overcome. Mm. You, can, you can reverse the law, but you have to reverse the meaning of the law mm. uh, in order for us to build a, a culture that is in, truly inclusive, truly welcoming, and understands that human beings have responsibilities one, one to the other, um, beginning, frankly, with uh, the, the, the giving of life. Yeah. You know, Dr. Miller, I want to hold a little bit on culture and I guess beliefs in America because I, I mean, I think, I think this is interesting. I know, you know, the, the belief in pro-life and the belief that not an infant, but, but a fetus is a, is a human life with full legal rights and priorities. This is a, a very strong conviction of yours. It's pretty central to a lot of your thinking most people in America, um, they're they're a little bit uncomfortable with abortion, but but they want abortion or abortion access um, with certain uh, with certain boundaries, and particularly mm-hmm. after the first trimester, these these opinions change. But I'm curious why you think that. I'm curious why you think most Americans um, want access to abortion. Why they think that's important, and why they think. That's that's moral and just, which I, I know is very different than your worldview. But I, I'm, right. I'm, I'm curious how you digest that or how, what you make of it. I think that people are afraid of losing control. And abortion, legalized abortion, represents a kind of control over one's own life and then over the lives of others. And so abortion is a way for us to maintain control, maintain a kind of personal security. Um, we don't like it when others tell us what to do. <laughs> we, we kind of saw that with the COVID thing, right? Even, you know, wearing a mask or not wearing a mask. Um, so I think that, I think there's a lot of, of that motivation if, that if, if we don't have uh, access to abortion, we've lost control. One of the things I want to ask you about is, and I know you acknowledge this, and I guess I'm I'm curious to the degree to which um, it kind of concerns you, and and I Mm -hmm. think folks who are pro-life in general, which is that pregnancy can be quite dangerous. Um, The Dobbs decision is estimated to increase maternal morbidity and mortality, um, as it stands right now, about one in five pregnant people experience significant complications. About one in 4,000 dies during pregnancy, um, in childbirth, or shortly after delivering, uh, including one in 1,800 black mothers specifically. I, I'm curious 
where this becomes uncomfortable for you to the rights and liberties and freedoms of the mother the the or the individual uh, that is that is pregnant. Um, I, I know that that you believe very deeply that that abortion is murder and that you're taking away a life, but there are a lot of times, I mean, an uncomfortable number of times where it really does threaten another person's life as well, which is the, the mother's. Um, and I, I'm curious what you make of that. Um, it's very interesting that you're talking about this because <laughs> I had a life-threatening pregnancy <laughs> myself. Wow. Wow. Uh, my son Patrick was born a month early in an emergency C-section because I had a placenta abruption, and I could have died, and he could have died. Mm. Um, so this, this does become very personal, even, even to me. Uh, thank God I got rushed to the hospital in time. Um, I, in fact, the physicians uh, said, I, God bless that man. He saved me, and he saved Patrick, because he knew exactly what to do, and he didn't hesitate. Um, but he said another 10 minutes and the outcome wouldn't have been so good. Mm. I think we have to do all that we can to save both the mother and the child without doing any direct attack on both human life, innocent human life. Uh, the ethics of that, uh, every innocent human being, their life is inviolable. Now, having said that, I can tolerate certainly uh, laws that will, shall I say it, directly attack the unborn child to save the mother. I don't think it's ethical, but I understand why we need that. And the woman does have a right to defend herself. But even having said that, I think this is a kind of an important point. The unborn child is not a... um, an unjust aggressor against his, his mother, his or her mother. And I think we still have to uh, acknowledge that, mourn that, that we're dealing with a true loss in a, in a, in a complex com- situation of, indeed, conflict between the life of the mother and the, and the unborn child. You know, Dr. Miller, one of the things that I've been thinking about... Um... As a theater friend, you've spoke uh, uh, in your book, um, Sheila, um, who, you know, uh, is is pro-life, or at least she had an abortion. Um, one of the things I think about this day, these days is just how much we moralize um, and think socially, right? We are really social creatures, deeply so. Um, and so the people around us, um, what their beliefs are, we, we oftentimes share, or at least they're sort of interspliced with our own in, in pretty interesting and complex and deep ways. I'm curious if you have friends and family members um, that are pro-choice that, mm-hmm. that you talk to about this. And, and I know this is on the other side, too. I mean, we're becoming a more polarized society and so in that sense, um, we don't have friends who have different views from us oftentimes. That's just true across the board. And I'm, I'm curious in your case, if you, if you have sincere, deep relationships um, with folks who are pro-choice, and, 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 even, and if you do, if you, if you discuss these things, if you openly talk oh, about sure. them. Oh, sure. 
Mm-hmm. And the answer is yes. Um, and I, I, can, I can talk about uh, my sister. Mm-hmm. Uh, my sister uh, supports uh, legalized abortion. Um, but we, we love each other, and we respect each other, and we can talk about it. And I, and I try to always keep the avenues of communication open. And anyone who wants oh, conversations I've had with, maybe they're not close friends or relatives, but when you're out on the street, so let's say in front of an abortion clinic, or you're at, you're at a, a pro-life demonstration, and uh, members of, of the other side sh- show up, I've had some very, very deep, very long conversations with them um, to try to convince them, to listen to their arguments, um, and uh, hopefully to give them something to think about uh, as as we part our ways. So, yes, and I I think that is important um, to try to be open, to try to understand, to try to listen, um, and hopefully that they will be listening to, to me and to us. Dr. Miller, thank you so much. Um, I really, really appreciate the time. And I appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you very, very much. Thanks very much to Detroit Today's producer, Sam Corey, who did that interview with Monica Miller about abortion and abortion politics. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to be joined by two journalists who are covering this issue uh, going into the fall elections, both from the standpoint here in Michigan and nationally. And we want to start to hear from you. Talk about where you are on abortion rights. Are you looking at uh, the possible ballot initiative in this fall and thinking that it will be the final word here in Michigan about abortion? Or do you think that this is just the beginning of a new round of fighting over this critical right? We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. WDET is your place for open dialogue. The music you love. Real news and in-depth analysis. And cultural experiences. The sound of Detroit. 1019 WDET is your public radio station. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We just heard from a Michigander who does not support the idea that women should be able to end pregnancies if they like. Monica Miller uh, is uh, someone who has worked for a long time in the pro-life movement, and she talked about how she came to that position and came to that activism here in Detroit. Of course, that activism is in the spotlight as we walk up to the midterm elections this fall and perhaps to a ballot initiative here in the state of Michigan that will decide whether abortion will be legal and safe or whether we will go back to this 1931 law that is on the books here that makes it quite criminal. We want to continue the conversation now, and of course, we want to talk a lot about this issue with you and hear from you about how you're feeling. Uh, What did you think of what the U.S. Supreme Court 
did in the Dobbs case this spring, overturning Roe v. Wade after nearly 50 years of that being the law of the land. What do you think of the idea of this ballot initiative that is uh, still in flux? We're not sure whether it's going to appear on the ballot quite yet. Uh, But if it does, uh, would you vote for uh, making abortion rights part of the Michigan Constitution? Also, what do you think about the national landscape here? Michigan is one state, of course, that is uh, taking this on right now. But many, many other states, of course, are gearing up for pretty big fights over this issue. Uh, What do you think uh, states should be doing? What should states be allowed to do? Should we be pursuing some sort of national consensus uh, or solution to all of this. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we will work you into the conversation. We're also joined now by two reporters who have been covering this issue at both the state and national level. Rachel Cohen is a senior policy reporter for Vox, who has been writing all about politics and abortion nationally. Rachel, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you so much for having me. And back with us again is Lauren Gibbons. She's a reporter who covers Michigan politics for Bridge, Michigan. She has been writing about abortion politics at the state level. Lauren, welcome back to Detroit Today. Thanks for having me. So, Rachel, I want to start just by talking about how women have uh, felt the impact of the overturning of Roe this spring. In the states where women do not have a right to an abortion now, What's happening? What does this issue look like? And how many states are, like Michigan, thinking about uh, whether whether to put this uh, to the to the voters and, and let people decide where this right will stand? Well, you know, it's been felt by women, I think I think it's safe to say in all states, certainly there are over half the states have uh, been ramping up and are at risk of doing total or near total bans of abortion. A lot of those bans are right now um, going through litigation, uh, being challenged in court, but but some of them are, are going through. I think, you know, we are seeing stories play out that we have never seen before because you're having new situations where you have attorneys at hospitals saying to doctors, you know, don't do these normal things you normally would do because we don't know if they would be legal under these new statutes. Uh, so it's it's a very scary time for both people who can get pregnant, for providers, for you know people running hospitals and other health pharmacists and and so on. Um, and it's uh, I would say that there is a lot of there are a lot of people looking at the structural difficulties of getting things through in Congress and and recognizing more clearly for the first time how much this is going to become a battle state by state like Michigan is doing. And there are um, other ballot initiatives coming up in November, but and I think uh, just more broadly, people are recognizing this is going to have to be a real state battle because even if Congress does manage to pass some sort of federal bill protecting abortion rights, it's going to go back to the courts. Mm-hmm. And these are the same courts that just overthrew Roe. And there's, we're going to, unless we do some sort of court reform um, or 
the composition of the court changes significantly, most, you know, federal legislation is going to end up back in the Supreme Court ultimately. Mm, yeah. So, so uh, Rachel, I think when a lot of people think about this issue from a national perspective, they gravitate toward the 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 theory that there are you know there are blue states there are blue areas of the country and there are red states red areas of the country and and i think you can pretty quickly come to a, you know simple conclusions about what this right will look like uh, based on that geography but but it's often much more complicated than that. Uh, abortion is a more complicated issue than <clears throat> almost any other political issue. And and uh, what we saw in Kansas recently, I think, was a reminder of uh, uh, of the error of making assumptions about about that geography. Could you talk about not not the polls? I mean, places where mm-hmm. it, it's obvious that abortion will be illegal or legal, but the places where there is a lot of, as they say, play in the joints, uh, where where the the specific questions yeah. about how legal it is and under what circumstances are really going to be the the, the areas of flashpoint. Yeah, and I think, you know, bringing up Kansas is really important because Kansas really does give a picture of of why this is not an easy red versus blue issue. As you as you mentioned, Americans hold complicated, nuanced, often contradictory views about abortions. What they a question they give to a pollster about abortion might directly contradict the next answer they give because people's opinions don't are not very neat and tidy on this issue. But what we do know, what is clear, is that Americans, regardless of how they feel about abortion, overwhelmingly do not think the government should be making the decisions for them. Uh, many, almost a third of self-identified pro-choice Americans personally oppose abortion, but that, but they still believe that the decision should be between a woman and her doctor. That they don't think the government should be saying at what point you know, you should be able to get which procedure. And that sort of framing is really important to understand why you see so many libertarians, so many Republicans, so many conservatives also supporting pro-choice laws because it's, and and why there are Democrats who also have uh, concerns about abortion personally. Tim Kaine is a senator. He is a, a you know, Catholic who personally would, doesn't support abortion, but he has been sponsoring pro-choice legislation for years because uh, it's possible to sort of be in a position where you can support laws that allow for greater options uh, because you don't see this as something for the government to be deciding. Yeah, yeah. So Lauren Gibbons, uh, of course, Michigan is uh, one of the states where this is a flashpoint issue uh, coming up for the fall elections. Let's talk first about where Michiganders stand pretty broadly on abortion. They seem to want it. Of course, uh, 800,000 people signed this petition to put this question on the on the ballot in November. But, but I think there are bigger questions about how comfortable uh, people are about uh, or with uh, abortion rights. And, and again, real nuance when, when you think about uh, uh, not just how people will vote, but, but how they think the law should be structured. Right, right. There's certainly a lot of nuance on that spectrum. And here in a purple state like Michigan, there are a lot of different views about abortion rights and how 
um, this should look. Certainly, as you mentioned, uh, it's likely uh, or, you know, we'll see exactly what uh, state elections officials decide this week um, or before the end of the month uh, about how uh, whether this uh, abortion ballot initiative uh, does uh, go before voters in November um, so, so we did see a lot of interest and support for that, especially after uh, the Dobbs decision came down. But certainly, there is still a lot of uh, a lot of differing opinions, a lot of concern. We're seeing critics of this ballot initiative kind of start to bring up concerns about uh, how far this would go. Essentially, um, you know, kind of criticizing the fact that, for example, you know, minors could. Uh, get abortion procedures mm-hmm. uh, and, and those kinds of things. So there's certainly there's certainly um, you know not a, a binary. Some people want abo- abortion, some people don't. Um, there's there's definitely a wider spectrum, and we'll as as we see whether this uh, this issue is on the ballot in November, we'll start to see some of those conversations play out in real time. And and of course, whether it's on the ballot or or not. Uh, you've already begun to see how it is going to play out in some other races. And and the governor's race in particular, I feel like every commercial I've seen about the governor's race uh, so far since the primary has been about abortion and what Tudor Dixon, who is the Republican nominee, uh, thinks about abortion. The the, the super PACs are, are running nonstop attack ads painting her with her own words uh, as as an abortion extremist it it seems like it, this is going to frame the elections even if we don't get the ballot initiative in november right and uh, as and kind of in contrast to what we're seeing you know among the public opinion uh, certainly at the governor's level uh, voters have a pretty stark choice to make, right? Uh, Governor Whitmer has really been at the front lines of these court battles, uh, trying to keep abortion rights legal in Michigan. Uh, you know, that Oakland County case we saw last week um, that essentially, you know, put put abortion rights uh, under, uh, it protected abortion rights, uh, uh, putting that uh, 1931 ban that's on the books uh, under a preliminary injunction so local prosecutors um, couldn't start enforcing that. Um, but then on the other side of the coin, Tudor Dixon um, is very, very anti-abortion, has made that very clear in many public statements. Um, so, so yes, um, in, a lot of, uh, in a lot of races up and down the ticket, uh, voters will have a pretty stark choice uh, between you know, uh, candidates who support abortion rights and uh, candidates who do not. Um, so, so yeah, in kind of contrast to what uh, we're seeing from you know the public view, where there's a little bit, uh, a little bit more nuance um, on how the, what they would personally like to see um, in abortion policy. Um, certainly at the at, at the political level, um, at the top of the ticket, a very very stark choice there. Yeah. Okay, we're going to take. Uh, oh, go ahead, Rachel. I just wanted to add something. I think is is uh, maybe not as well understood about some of these dynamics is if you ask an individual you know, sort of in an, in a blank world, would you support this or that abortion restriction, for example, a parental consent law or a certain mandatory waiting period, they might say yes. But then, uh, but then when they go to the polls to vote, what political scientists have, have observed sort of over and over again, and this is not just with abortion restrictions, but sort of with other areas too, is that if it's a, 
a ballot initiative to change something, to, to change what they have now, voters, including conservative voters, tend to prefer the status quo. Um, and that is a theme we're seeing. That's a theme that the campaigners in Kansas really leaned into. They tried to say, if you take away this state protection, we're going to see you know, big changes. It's going to lead to a total ban in abortion. Um, and overturning Roe v. Wade is a really big change. It's taking away a federal, a constitutional right people had for 50 years. Mm -hmm. And so I think understanding that tension is is helpful when thinking about the politics, because people might say, you know, yeah, you know, personally, I would prefer this kind of restriction, or maybe I'm more comfortable with that. But if the choice is, do I want to change what I've had um, existing around me? Do I want to sort of usher in new destabilizing turmoil and lawsuits and all that? People tend to tend to prefer to keep things as they are. Yeah, yeah. Okay, when we come back, uh, we're going to continue this conversation about abortion and abortion rights, both from the Michigan perspective and the national perspective. We're going to keep Lauren Gibbons of Bridge, Michigan, and Rachel Cohen of Vox. We want to get to you, the listeners, on the phones and on Twitter. Dan in Southfield, Tim in Detroit, we'll hear from you next. If you want to join them, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. And again, you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and uh, we can include you in the conversation that way. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We're talking about abortion politics in Michigan and America this hour. We've got Rachel Cohen, who's a senior policy reporter for Vox. She's been writing about the ways that abortion fights are shaping up in our politics after the U.S. Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade this spring. Also with us is Lauren Gibbons. She's a reporter who covers Michigan politics for Bridge, Michigan, and has been following this issue uh, at the local level. We want to hear from you as well. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and uh, we'll work you into the conversation. Uh, Laura, Lauren, before we broke, I heard you jumping in there with, uh, with another point. I wanted to come back to that. Oh, yeah. I just think it's really interesting with, uh, with the prospect of abortion rights being on the ballot in November, uh, this would be a pretty uh, significant change to what Michigan has on the books, um, certainly uh, under the federal protections that were previously provided by Roe versus Wade. Um, it, would, it, it would certainly enshrine abortion rights into the state constitution, but that would be in addition to um, in addition to the Constitution, a protection that's currently not there. So it would be really interesting to see, and it will continue to be. Um, certainly, there's a lot of a lot of real momentum. A, a record-breaking number of signatures were submitted for this initiative. But you know, as Rachel pointed out, you know, sometimes it's a little more difficult to uh, convince voters to change uh, the status quo. So it, it could be interesting to see how um, how this uh, fight plays out. Um, you know, because we are, we're being um, presented with the option with this ballot initiative to add abortion rights into the Constitution. Yeah. Uh, and so that that could be an interesting dynamic um, that, that could come up at, 
the state level in Michigan. I, here. I think there's, there, I think a fair way to describe the the initiative that the language that's in the initiative that uh, they're debating putting on the on the ballot is that it would not only restore what Roe did, but that it would roll back. Uh, what Casey did uh, mm-hmm. the, when when the court gave states more ability to to regulate abortion within the margins of of, of legality and and I, I fully expect that if this makes the ballot that will be the campaign uh, against it is that that people will say it goes further than what most people might might uh, might think the law should should be and and that it would that it would prevent the state from from dealing with things that uh, that people think maybe think that, that it ought to. Is, is that a fair characterization? And I think that if I were the advocates for the measure, then I would emphasize that passing this would prevent taking the state back to 1931 and, mm. and back to a world we haven't seen and usher in, you know, restrictions that this, you know, the state hasn't had for a century. Like that, that would be sort of the probably the strategy yeah yeah uh, again three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number here on the phones uh, you can also go to twitter and hashtag us and we'll include you in the conversation that way let's start with dan in southfield dan welcome to the show hey steve hey hey uh bill clinton said he thought abortion should be safe legal and rare and i agree with that i think that trying to Trying to regulate this kind of behavior with the law will have the same success rate as trying to stop drugs with the law. It's not going to work. No matter what happens, people are going to need to do what they need to do, and they're going to make their own moral and ethical choices. But I think that this is an essential idea of women's rights. I think that this idea that we're going to decide as a society, how other people are going to be able to live their lives is, is just not, yeah. it's, it's stupid and it's not going to work. Dan, I think that, that that's a really important point, the sort of practical side of this. And, and Rachel, you just, you just kind of invoked what, what, uh, what we used to, to have to deal with in this country before, which was which was a, a patchwork of, of ability to, to, to get access to abortions. And I think the, the, the danger that that implies is something that's kind of gotten lost in the in the conversation that that it's just not it's not safe to prevent people from getting legal access to this because they're going to get access to it anyway. And now uh, you're taking you're taking much more risk uh, by doing it. We, we've already started to see, Rachel, in, in uh, some regions of the country, people doing extraordinary things, for instance, to try to get legal access to abortions because where they live, uh, that's no longer that's no longer the case. Yeah. And I would add that, you know, probably one of the biggest differences to abortion from now compared to pre-1973 is the advent of medication abortion. And, you know, that just wasn't around. And that's a very good thing. That's a very safe, popular, accessible option for a lot of people. But the biggest, you know, the other huge difference that I think is connected to it and 
something people are really nervous about is all of these new ways of criminalizing abortion and all the ways people can sort of track your search histories and, and surveil you. And there is definitely, um, I would say, a lot of real fear about how the state might prosecute and criminalize people for basic, for trying to safely end pregnancies that maybe they could have, you know, three months ago. Yeah. Uh, again, Dan, really appreciate the call and the comments. Let's go next to Lonnie on I-94. Lonnie, welcome to the show. Hi. Uh, what I would like to say is that, that the way the question's been talked about today has, has been a little troublesome because I think that we're missing the point in that in a, in a democracy, in a place where freedom is essential, what we're actually talking about is individuals' rights to choose certain actions mm-hmm. on their own. And I, and I think that you, even in segregation, it wasn't about the problem with segregation wasn't that white people weren't allowed to live by themselves. It's that they were trying to choose where other people lived uh, with gun rights. I mean, the problem, the problem that we're, we're facing is that it's not about everyone. I mean, there are some places that are trying to force others to have guns. As, as well as people are trying to force others not to have certain types of weapons. But it's, and, and, and that's when these things become hot buttons because we, fundamentally, we have a right to, if we are free, we should have a right to choose things that affect us. Yeah. So, uh, and abortion is critical to that. So, yeah. so Lonnie, I, 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 I agree with you, but I wonder if you heard the interview at the top of the show with Monica Miller, the pro-life activist, and the way she described um, the rights that she ascribes to the unborn, the idea that this is a life and is worth protecting as well. Do you do you not buy any of that, or do you think that that on balance that's not as important, or or how do you how do you reconcile that with what you're saying here? Well, as a biologist and 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 and, and, and as a person who's born in the Christian faith, my issue with 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 life in that form is that uh, I've had to reconcile it with the fact that that embryo that 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 uh, that cell that 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 just basically. Uh, the nucleus of, of a sperm and, and the cytoplasm and nucleus of an egg combining, that is, that, that is a living thing, but so is a virus. So is a fly. So is something else. It is not a living human being, and it doesn't have human rights. Mm-hmm. It, is, it is only, it, 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 it's more of a, it, it, it cannot live without the mother, and so it should live at the choice of the mother because it's actually a parasitic relationship but by choice so if she chooses to raise to to to, to keep that embryo and raise it then then that's her right yeah. it's, that's, lonnie, that's a choice that she gets to make too lonnie I, I really appreciate the call and and your really thoughtful ideas uh, on on the subject uh, lauren gibbons it, it strikes me that this is uh, this is the problem that Tudor Dixon, the the Republican nominee for governor, has politically, at least, uh, in Michigan, which is that she has made it clear she believes this is life. She believes that it is life that's worth protecting legally at 
any cost, uh, I think is a fair way to, to describe the things that she said, and that that's out of step with what most Michiganders probably believe. Yeah, and I think uh, I think that is that uh, she you know would fundamentally support uh, you know what's currently on the books in that 1931 law, which is a a pretty restrictive, uh, a pretty restrictive even compared to what most other states have uh, from our understanding. And um, you know I think uh, it's important to point out at this point you know it's it, abortion rights in Michigan are on pretty shaky legal ground. They're currently being protected by a preliminary injunction Mm -hmm. preventing that 1931 law from taking effect. And what we saw in uh, Oakland County Court last week before that injunction was request was granted, um, you know, there were prosecutors uh, in certain counties who were hoping to enforce that ban and potentially look into uh, prosecuting some cases and other, other, County prosecutors were saying we would not enforce this law if it went into effect. So we were potentially looking if that injunction wasn't put in place at county by county level here. So, so this is a this is a very open question um, in terms of in terms of how this goes down. You know, if we don't see it at the ballot, we're going to see this uh, play out in the courts. And that 1931 law and whether or not it should be on the books anymore is at the crux of this issue. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we're going to take one more call very quickly. Tim in Detroit. Tim, I've only got about a minute left, but I want to get you in here. Um, we've been granted inalienable rights. Actually, we haven't granted them. Inalienable right means that we have rights that exceed what the government has to impose on us. The government should have no jurisdiction over inalienable rights. And what more fundamental inalienable right is there than say so over your own body? I don't think we can call ourselves free if we don't have that right. Yeah, uh, Tim, the, uh, Tim, I, Tim, I appreciate the, the the call and the and the comment. And again, we're running out of time. But uh, Rachel Cohen, I'll give you uh, the last word before we have to end. Oh um, well, <laughs> you know, I think <laughs> I think that the I guess what I would say is I think there's a lot of learning happening right now and. Uh, that there are a lot of people who are, I mean, we we know we know that a lot of people actually just don't know that much about how pregnancies work, how abortion works. Polls show most people didn't realize that over 90% of abortions happen in the first trimester, that most people who get abortions are already parents. You know, there's a lot of things I think the public is also kind of grappling with stories that they thought would never have happened or were just hysterical fear-mongering are now happening. And so I think that the politics are really shifting right now um, as people are just reflecting and confronting things they didn't think they would have to confront. And so I would just caution, you know, we're going to learn things in November, but I think we may see things continue to change over the next six months, year, because there's just a lot happening. Yeah. Okay, Lauren Gibbons and Rachel Cohen, it was great to have both of you here to talk about this issue. Thanks so much for joining us on Detroit Today. That is going to do it for us today. Come back tomorrow and we're going to talk about Detroit's $49 million demolition efforts and also why a library in Ottawa County was defunded by its own residents. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.